This week on Freight Up, the U.S. government's got its purse strings open and looking to shore up its oil reserves. What does this mean for the oil market? R.T. Smith has got the latest news for you. In iron ore news, we've seen a 24% rebound since early August. But can this trend last? We've got How Pays Hot Take just for you. All this and more on Freight Up. Freight Up! Welcome to Freight Up. My name is Fernanda, and I'll be your host as we navigate the seas of freight and commodities. Lots of news to cover this week. We've got Ace Smith 7, the people's broker, here to give you his fuel oil update, How Pay to give us an overview of the Ferris market. And yes, we will be discussing that 6.2% drop in the Handy 7 TC index. But before we dive in, just a quick reminder to give us a follow if you haven't already on Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Drop us a comment on FreightUpPodcast.com. Please, I'm begging you. Now on with the show. Let's dive into fuel with Archie Smith. So the oil market is popping off today. What's going on? Uh, this morning, we were, uh, Brent Futures were trading a little bit higher than, than yesterday's settlement. The front future, which is the Jan 24 contract, settled 82.47 last night. Initially in the Apex session, we were trading slightly higher than that and some finally positive Chinese data, economic yeah. data. It was better than expected on uh, factory data and retail sales data and kind of anything that involves either a lifting of the US or Chinese economy uh, normally lifts the crude with it. But since then, we've actually kind of gone red on the day this morning. Uh, yeah, just kind of dipped below the $82 per barrel mark. You know, there's always that backdrop of, of demand worries. So yeah, that's kind of come back into play a bit. So we're waiting for the Chinese consumer to go on a bit of a shopping spree. That's exactly what we're waiting for. That's exactly what we're waiting for. I'm um, doing my part, Archie, in stimulating the economy for Thanksgiving <laughs> next week. And I just got told off for buying a hundred pounds worth of smoked salmon. Are we doing like a Thanksgiving thing here? No, no, uh, I'm doing it at home. Don't uh, worry, you're invited. My husband uh, knows he listens to the podcast. Uh, brilliant. Yesterday, we actually hit uh, an interstate high of $84 per barrel. So obviously, we're trading quite a bit weaker than that this morning. And that uh, yesterday's spike was on weaker US uh, CPI data coming out. And what that does in turn is it reduces the risk of further Fed tightening and it also weakens the dollar and when the dollar weakens uh, holders of foreign currency have more buying power in oil uh, so therefore it kind of got bought up to around $84 per barrel that was the intraday high yesterday we have definitely slipped since then but um, there was you know kind of rallying signs yesterday to a certain extent over the course of this year earlier this year the US sold a lot of their SPR oil, uh, strategic petroleum reserve. They, uh, Biden administration sold a lot of it off over the course of this year. I mean, that was for a multitude of reasons, but particularly when oil prices were really rallying, you know, some said that the Biden administration did it to keep gasoline prices at the pump low for the consumer as a bit of a kind of vote winning play. So obviously they need to buy that, that back now. Uh, originally, they had levels around $70 per barrel they were looking to buy back. They've recently increased that to $78 per barrel that they would look to buy back or start buying back in the SPR. Obviously, we're in the realms of that now. We've dipped below $80 per barrel a few times. Not quite there yet, but it's definitely something that's kind of lurking in the background that, you know, if, if crude does start sinking to that level, 
there could be some large, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Some support there from the US government buying back their SPR. And uh, that would predominantly be a lot of the sour crudes from OPEC, which kind of plays into another point where, you know, that I wanted to speak about uh, regarding the fuel market. We're seeing, you know, very low sulfur fuel oil has been pretty stable recently. Cracks were slipping a little bit this morning, about 50 cents off uh, in the front cracks, but it's, it's the high sulfur fuel oil. They're actually seeing some support at the minute. The, the high sulfur fuel oil cracks trading around, uh, for the euros, trading around uh, minus $13 a barrel, which is about 50 cents higher than the 20-day moving average. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, we are seeing some support in the high sulfur complex. And I think that's in anticipation of Russia and Saudi continuing to roll their output cuts into further into 2024. And it is built in now. Yeah. So there's a lot more factors that affect very low sulfur fuel oil. But with the high sulfur stuff, you know, uh, so Russia and Saudi, the predominant chunk of their oil is is sour. So high sulfur content, which is favorable for the high sulfur fuel oil uh, residue. If they do keep on rolling these cuts like they have been since summer, there's just going to be less and less high sulfur crude in the market and therefore that's you know granting a lot of support to this high sulfur fuel oil market which in turn tightens the high fives back up you know we've seen we saw kind of last month they started to widen again with support for the low sulfur and the the high sulfur stuff getting a bit weaker but you know if that high sulfur fuel oil starts to starts to strengthen then it really catches up to its very low sulfur counterparts and then the high five again begins to shrink which is not favorable for scrubber fitted vessels mm. you know you're getting less bang for your buck there yeah. pretty much although they've had a pretty good run of it this year right well on the high fives yeah yes and no i mean it's it's been pretty tight uh, compared to where you know levels it has been before i mean i can't comment on really more than a year ago because <laughs> more than a year ago i was uh, a student <laughs> so I don't know. I don't okay, know how. Brokers would say more than a year ago you weren't born. <laughs> yeah, I uh, I don't know how wide the high fives have been in the past, but they're certainly not at the moment at you know historical heights. Earlier this year, uh, scrubber fitted vessels were getting a pretty good deal. Yeah, I, I think it it just depends. A lot of it depends on you know where you locked that that high five spread in initially. Mm-hmm. I mean, certainly it has been fairly wide, kind of last month. But yeah, like I said, you know, the, the, the high sulfur spreads are pushing, the high sulfur cracks are pushing. That could start to tighten should Saudi Arabia and Russia decide to continue to roll their output cuts in, in further into 2024. Because okay. uh, it, it will be high sulfur that is m- mostly affected by that. You know, high sulfur crudes, uh, naturally the high sulfur fuel is mostly affected by that. And when do they usually announce that? At the minute, at, at any point, really. Yeah, yeah, at, at any point. Obviously, there are usually um, scheduled OPEC meetings yeah. each year. Uh, they will still happen, but when markets are, are moving, particularly, they, they could just be a meeting announced at any time. Okay. And in that meeting, they can say, okay, you know, we're going to keep doing the, the output cuts. Yeah, whenever the mood um, strikes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. You know, it's in their best interest to keep crude prices at a certain level. So, you know, with how it's been recently, kind of after the less worry, I should say, about the Gaza conflict spilling out, we saw crude prices really, really slip. So, you know, that that idea of those output cuts continuing it just could happen. 
So, I mean, to add to my point earlier about the, the very low sulfur fuel oil cracks, they've kind of come off a little bit this morning. So of the spreads, uh, we've seen the spreads quite well offered in the market. And that's the time spread. So your, your deck versus Jan. Yeah, your Jan versus Feb. Seeing those getting sold off for, for the very low sulfur fuel oil. On a set point, which may well ease some of the uh, middle distillate markets and the product markets, is a few months ago, Russia placed a diesel export ban. They have been gradually lifting some of these bans, uh, but there's a meeting this Thursday uh, between a couple of the oil ministers within the Russian government to look at a further list, uh, particularly on the diesel products for winter. So, you know, we could see some easing uh, on those markets where we have seen some tightness since the, since the bans came in. Fantastic. We'll have to keep an eye out for that. 100%. Thursday, that meeting is. Yeah. <laughs> Thursday. Yeah. So I guess we have to release you back into the wild <laughs> and then wait for you to gather more data for us. <laughs> and, and then I'll come back. And then you'll come back. <laughs> Last week, we saw a more optimistic sentiment among the larger vessel sizes driven by an expectation of rising iron ore demand and supportive rates for grain shipments owing to logistic issues. Now, this positive trend was reflected in the futures market where Cape Size led the way with its time charter rates surpassing 21,000, accompanied by moderate gains in both the Panamax and Supermax segments. Now, to focus on the Capes, they are on a notably positive note, buoyed by both existing fixing rates and a confident outlook in short-term Chinese iron ore demand. But there is a bit of complexity there. In spite of subdued volumes, Cape iron ore shipments saw a notable buildup of vessels awaiting loading in Australia and increased cargo reports from South Africa, which signaled a potential strengthening of volumes in the upcoming week. Turning our attention to fixtures, the crucial C5 iron ore route West Australia to China was initially fixed at 9.40 for 17 to 18 November Lacan, but rose to $9.88 last Tuesday, November 7th, following the clearance of more vessels. On 14th November, the C5 spot was assessed at $9.95. In the Atlantic, tonnage lists tightened in the north, particularly in the latter half of the week, with more Brazilian cargoes emerging. Moving iron ore on the C3 route from Tuberau to Qingdao for late November to early December dates was reported between $21 and sub $22 as the week progressed. Now this Monday, November 13th, saw a day of two halves as thin liquidity in the morning session soon turned into a strong buying session in the afternoon. November paid up to a high of 19900 where size traded and December was paid to 16750 and 16800 in size. Moving on to the Panamax, the rates experienced a gradual strengthening last week, propelled by a recovering grain shipment market and an upswing in the Cape market. Positive market sentiment in the Atlantic persisted throughout the week due to tightening prompt vessel supply, discussions of higher rates on both front hull and transatlantic routes. Congestion in the ECSA and lower water levels in the Mississippi River redirecting volumes to a longer route also contributed to supporting freight rates. Conversely, the Asian market, particularly in the north, lacked excitement, although robust coal demand from Australia and Indonesia helped absorb the heavy tonnage. In terms of fixtures, fresh coal cargoes are reported in the U.S. and Canada regions. Good bid support to open last week for Panamax as November printed up to 11,400 and December to 10,500 before stalling. 
On Tuesday, November 7th, November and December pushed up to 11,500 and 10,600 highs, respectively. Q1 pushed up to 9,150, while further out, Cal 24 traded inside 10,800 and 10,900. Overall, the week closed with some good bid support. Slow start to the week this week with Singapore holidays affecting liquidity in the market. December traded in good size from 12,400 to 12,550, and the Q1 printed up to 10,150 before seeing selling interest again. Now for all you Supermax fans, we saw a lot of range-bound trading throughout the day last Tuesday, November 7th. An index of negative 14 brought little life into the market, and notably, Cal24 traded 10,900, while Cal25 traded 10,800. Early selling pushed the prompt down on Wednesday morning. However, post-index plus 73, the market became bullish, pushing November and December up to 12,350 and 11,350 respectively. The paper experienced momentum post-index this Monday as December in Q1 pushed up to 12,150 and 9,750 respectively. Further out, Cal24 and Cal25 traded up to 11,125 and 11,000 flat. As far as the FFA market indexes are concerned, Cape Size 5TC is still king with a 12.4% growth from 19,234 last Monday, November 6th to 21,619 this Monday, November 13th. Panamax 4TC was not that far off with a growth of 7.7% from 11,693 last Monday to 12,598 this Monday. Supermax 10TC was lagging far behind the pack with a growth of only 2.6% up from 12,080 last Monday to 12,396 this Monday. Now, the handy 7TC was a different story altogether as it was the only index to go down 6.2% from 11,284 last Monday, 6 November, down to 10,581 this Monday. We'll have to see what the indexes will do next week, but that is your overview of the freight market for this week. Now on to how. So we've had a huge iron ore rebound, about 24% since August. What have been the key drivers that have kind of led up to this moment and, uh, and allowed this rebound to happen, How? I think, first of all, in particular in August and September, the core macro change was that the China house stimulus and results out for expectation of the market. It happens when China or some of the main economies bring out some strong stimuluses, but it doesn't turn out to be so effective. I think the difference is this time it happens. It makes a substantial progress and to minimize the default restructure and issue huge local debts. And China houses saw a slight positive sales number in October after nine months drop and the completion size up by 20% in the first 10 months of the year. And in late October and early November, I think the market was more linked with many accidents, including the train operation, Brazil, and the logistic problem and port issue in South Africa. And BHP strike and Australian port 
hackers attack on the internet. It happens oh, in wow. well. It never stops. I think the strength, the strong market was of Iron was because the stories, it happened in the role. It's like a comic series. It's like never stop. If it stops for a week or two, I bet it will drop for, you know, a certain percentages, but it doesn't happen. It's just the one after another. So I think those are major reasons. So to push Iron index really high, 24% of the last three months. Given all that, do you think that this trend's going to stick around for the rest of the year at least? Or what, what's that looking like? For macro drivers, will naturally increase the valuation of the iron ore, which means I'm also expecting a higher highs this year and a higher lows oh. this year compared to last year, that's for sure. But the commodity, it has its own volatility. It doesn't prove me to, for the iron ore to stay that high for the rest of the year. We still have a month and a half to go. From historical cases, a fundamental change normally has a longer impact on the timeline. Uh, the macro lead change had the second longest appear with the fundamental one. But for the event driven, which is likely to happen in the last few weeks, this is the most short one, or we're saying it's the shortest one compared with other two kinds of factors. This is what I'm saying for November push, which could be not sustainable. But if we look back into fundamental side, we're seeing a slight decrease on the supply, but much faster decrease on the demand side. For example, the pig iron production decreased from uh, 2.52 million tons to 2.38 million tons at a stable rate for the past six and seven weeks. It doesn't really drop like for one week, but that much is uh, it's, it's dropped like 2,000 tons a week or 5,000 tons a week. It's dropping in a row. It's like downward trend. And the other thing is and the EAF's utilization rate picked up given a stable profit, which could squeeze the usage of iron ore. And although China didn't mention a flight control on steel production, I think market participants, we communicated, generally believed a tiny groove as a target or even a flat control on the steel production over this year. But given we have already seen there is a 1.7% growth for the first nine months, which left us a very limited room to imagine the growth of iron ore usage in the last quarter. And I think one more factor on the delivery side is for the first three quarters, only FMG, one of the big four miner, completed 75% of the annual delivery target that three of them failed, which means that three other big miners could increase delivery massively during the last two months. That's my expectation. And there are less enterprises showing interest on winter stock for steels this year compared to last year. There's, if we have to see a number, there's at most 20% of the enterprises from downstream saying they're buying steels proactively or before December. But the reality is even for the enterprises of promise or they officially said they're buying steels for stock. They haven't yet from the trading volume. They haven't yet. So from the fundamental side, I'm even looking at the slight bearish outlook for the iron ore, 
in the rest of Q4. So I'm saying the Arnold sentiment is strong, but the valuation is like high at the moment. What should we be looking out for in just this coming week until you come on and give us our next update, Hal? I think we should be looking at the, the trading volume of China domestic steels. See how it looks. It's the winter's coming. So the steel cells, they have to go from northern areas to south to sell the cells in the southern areas. If that didn't really have a good record or hadn't really allowed orders and probably it's well, the, the, the bearish outlook will transfer from steels to impact iron ores and bring down iron ore price. I, I think the second of all is we need to take a look at if there's more maintenance in steel mills of China. If there are more maintenance in steel mills of China, which means uh, the usage of iron ore generally need to come down uh, furthermore because there is a general loss of steel mills in China right now. So I doubt they can uh, take the loss through the Q4. I think at some time, at some point, there will be more mills to try and to maybe close some or at least suspend their production to avoid their loss for a while. There you have it, folks. Hao Pei reporting live from Shanghai on the latest in Iron Ore. Hao, thank you so much for joining us. It's been insightful as always. Thanks for the listening, guys. Thank you, Fernanda. You did it. You got your market updates for this week, and you are now on top of the world. We'll have a fresh set of market and commodity news for you next week. But until then, make sure to drop us a line on FreightUpPodcast.com. Yeah, I'm still waiting for your reviews, but I am never losing hope that they will come in. Anyway, until next week. Freight Up!